stories are the software of our lives. We as the humans, the hardware, need an upgrade of our spiritual software, our stories, our wisdom more than ever. Each of these episodes will be like a performance psychologist, philosopher, religious professor, and a monk walked into a bar and had a conversation. It's just me on this podcast because that's the weird conversation that's happening in my brain. I'll be drawing from other wisdom traditions, but each episode will be drawing from one main tradition, the Bible. I'll be drawing from 40 stories. And as I look at these 40 stories, I'll be distilling it down so that you can find the wisdom you need to help upgrade your story wherever you find yourself. The polycontemplative approach is not dedicated to any belief system or ideology. It's an invitation for all of us to pay attention to wisdom that's been passed down our way for thousands of years and learn from it in a new, fresh way today. Welcome to PC number nine. Number nine is a story that has captured the imagination of humans for a long time. It's inspired a lot of art. And there's so much to the story that in today's episode, what I want to do for something a little different is hit the story on the front and really break it down for you. Because I think this story is used to teach and say so much, but it gets skipped over. And so I want you to imagine how a story like this would have come to be about. Uh, This story answers a lot of questions for what it means to have a a gravity within yourself. We could call it a center, uh, a place for society and individuals to come back to, to know, know who they are, where they are, what's going, how to make sense, what's going on, how to make sense of their lives. And I think this story is just massive for where we find ourselves in today's world. We have so many fracturing of realities, so many things breaking apart that people have a hard time just finding a center and making sense of things. I can imagine this story being told in uh, a context around the fire over thousands of years before it was told in its most popular format when people were struggling with questions of going out and finding their way, of, of what they needed to do with their lives, of who they needed to become. Now, the story in its most popular format was told this way, that there was a father who had two sons, and one of the sons wanted his inheritance. Now, for most of human history, the way that that worked is very different from what we think of today. But for that son to ask for that inheritance, that son would have been basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And in wishing you were dead, Dad, I'm going to go and I'm going to take that inheritance and I'm going to go squander it. All that you've worked so hard for I'm going to go blow it. I'm going to go waste it. And that's what this younger brother does. He goes and wastes everything. Now, for those of you that may have heard this story or think you know where it's headed, there's so much more here. So hang tight with me for a moment as I unpack this, because you don't want to miss all that it says about society, all that it says about our brains, all that it says says about the process of growth and development. So this younger son goes and he wastes everything and he spends and he spends... And as he wastes everything, it's you could think about it like he's creating an environment, an atmosphere, a party that he can escape into. And that's going to be important in a minute. And at one point, he's eating like pig food, right? And, and this would have been huge. This would have been huge for the audience because as the story would have evolved before it was told, it's really driving in the dramatic impact of this person is at the absolute bottom. 
There's nowhere further for them to go. They can't go any further down. And if you've ever been in a place, and I've been in a place where I've had to start over a number of times, where I feel like I'm at the absolute bottom, when I feel like things couldn't be more humiliating or embarrassing or shameful, you know what it's like when you feel the brokenness of that, when you feel the challenge of that, when you feel the oppression of that, when you feel the overwhelming fear of that moment. And he has this realization. So he's got a safety net. And I know you don't feel like you have a safety net, but we'll get into that in a minute. And he has a safety net and he goes, man, even my dad's like servants eat better than this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to do that because I would rather, I would rather be in dutiful service to my father than keep living at this place Keep being in this bottom. Now, that's a huge idea because there's a desire there. There's a desire for change. There are a lot of people who who don't feel like they have a safety net, and then some that don't in society. But there are people that might have a safety net, but they still never reach this point of awareness of like, I want something different. I want to change. We're going to go into that. So he wants this change, and he's prepared a speech, and he's going to go home, and he's going to logically, rationally explain why his dad can welcome him back, why he can go back into a, a you know this place of servitude because his dad, you know, obviously would have been hurt by his actions. And this is a way that he can make peace with it. His dad is waiting on the road for him and doesn't even let him finish the speech. I mean, he embraces him. He hugs him. And then he throws a party for him because he thought his son was dead and his son is home. He's alive. He cares more about the relationship than the behavior. Not that the behavior doesn't matter, but this is an important idea. And as he throws this party, the older brother hears the party going on. And he's like, Dad, I've worked for you all these years. You never threw me a party. Biggest phrase in the story. Everything I have is yours, son. This party could be yours all the time. Everything I have is yours. Now, the audience of who this story would have been told to was the older brother. It, were the pe- it was the people who were the religious purists. And, and, and every domain, every field has its purists. It doesn't matter. Don't even think about just the term religion. And when you have that energy of approaching things from a purist standpoint, then, you know, I'm better than you because I understand the nuance and differences and the subtleties here. And, and he was telling this to a religious audience that was about their purity and how they had failed to experience all the goodness that was theirs because they were so worried and focused on duty. Now, let me break this story down for you and how huge it's been for society. I think an earlier indication of that story is like the Greek story of Prometheus. That story would have existed in earlier forms. You know, what it means to interact with the, the more powerful and how you relate to them. So I'm going to give you three things from this story that I think are huge that are going to help you wherever you're at, make sense of what's going on when reality starts to fracture, to be able to answer some big questions. The first thing I want you to understand is the pattern. The pattern in this story, it's huge. The pattern in this story is how we relate to power. How we relate to power tends to be one or two directions. It's either proving or hiding. That's my language. One author called it defiance 
or subservience. This is why I use the Prometheus example. The Prometheus example is this defiance against the power of the gods. You know, go look up that story and read about it, and you'll see this energy, this vibe, this approach that's like, no, I will show you. I am going to rebel. I'm going to do this my way, how I want to, right? It's the defiance. That's the younger brother. The older brother, the path of subservience. I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the duty. I don't have a lot of joy in it. I'm not really experiencing the fullness of what I could be. I'm not escaping like those who are defiant, but I'm also not being enhanced. I'm not in a place that I'm opening up the wonder and the awe and the appreciation. I'm just getting it done. Here's the wild thing, and you can look at power and institutions this way. Power and institutions create defiance or subservience. Why? Well, go back to some of the earlier PC episodes. Uh, you know, what do you, what's the point of power? The point of power is to take you along the path of being an empowered individual so that you can make up a greater, healthier, collective, and whole community. And most communities work better as they are smaller, transform communities, then make up a bigger picture of what it looks like to be in a whole healthy civilization or society. And what so many people don't understand is in this story is a pattern that's playing out over and over and over and over again. And if you're not aware of this, then you're not going to notice it in your life. When you're in a place that you are defying or subservient, that you are proving I will show them hiding, not living the fullness of your truth, you are being triggered by someone else's narrative to live in a way that isn't the chosen life that you are actively saying, this is who I want to be. You're not actively making that choice. You're getting you know, triggered along a pathway. So just reflect on that. Just reflect on that. You can reflect on this in your family. You'll see it. You'll see a pattern for a lot of you in your families, how siblings can take these two divergent paths. One will be defiant of the rule of law. One will be subservient to it. Or feign subservience and, you know, sneak around. That was kind of my, my pathway. You can see this in, in religion expression, religious expressions. You can see this in the way that people make sense of their pressure points that they feel, you know, I'm going to show them. And, and it doesn't even have to be a defined they, they're just going out to rebel and rebelling for rebellion's sake I don't want to shame you. You're trying to figure out your stuff. You're trying to find your way. You're trying to figure out who you are. But eventually you'll see that too is a dead end. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to make a change. What's so powerful about the younger brother is he actually made a change. I mean, he's like, this isn't any better than I would have got if I were as a servant for my dad. I want to make a change. Now, I know right now for some of you, you don't feel like there's any kind of safety net. And, and you know, I know in my own life, there are times that I've hit absolute bottom asked for help and been told no, like, you know, I had to just go find it on my own way. It was very painful, very hard. So I know what it's like when you feel like there's, there's not that safety net, but here's what I want you to understand. Power is like a vacuum. Power gets filled by something. And this is going to really get deep for the way that we think about human society and human history. But there's going to be something in that power. There's going to be something in that vacuum. And as for you, wherever you find yourself, a religious journey, if your view of the sacred 
is a power that doesn't make you stronger, that's an unhealthy understanding of that power. I mean, maybe if you resonate with the term God, if God's power doesn't make you stronger, I would offer maybe there's a misunderstanding of how that power plays out. You know, I think we in the West, we've so focused on, you know, omnipresent and omniscient and all these omni words. It's more like omni scary, which is the point of this story. We want to find comfort in an all encompassing power for most of human history. But what is that all encompassing power doing? It's standing on the road waiting for the behavior that was less than, right? The son who was defiant to come home. It was more about relationship than rules. It was about presence and personhood over perfection and performance. This is the greatest shift that you can understand when the power center of your life is not a disempowering presence, but an empowering presence. For you, that might be an image of the sacred. You know, go back to what I talked about in PC3, the me and the we consciousness. I personally benefit from meditation and contemplation that allows me to experience the reality of nothingness, the void, the formlessness, that there isn't, there is no center. I also enjoy the meditation and contemplative practices that see what the center could be like, see how far I can take the picture of what a strong power that empowers me would look like. It's a both-and thing for me. It's the cataphatic and apophatic traditions that we talked about. And if you are to walk the polycontemplative pathway, it's evaluating. You're going to go through changes in your life. You're going to go through what it looks like for that power center to, to, to activate, to evolve, maybe to degrade through hard circumstances. But society isn't going to get over needing that power center anytime soon. That center of power. And, and, and you know, the fact that this story was told about a dad, a father who was waiting and that the context of it was rebelling against the father. If some of you are watching this and you're in a place that you're defining your existence by rebelling against your father, the defiance of that, I'm not also offering a terribly co-opposite reaction, <laughs> opposite reaction, co-opposites redundant. I'm not offering an opposite reaction to that that's subservience. I've seen religions do this in the, in the one that I grew up in. You know, it's like Jesus is saying, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't have any part of me. You know, honor your father and mother and how that's used to swallow down lots of, you know, crappy understandings about life and theology and approaches to leadership. If you're in a place, though, that you're defining yourself by your rebellion, even if your physical and earthly father or your authority figures were terrible and bad, awful to you, that is not a strong center you can live from. I went through a process in my own life with my dad where, you know, he had a really strong vision for my life that I thought was mine too. And when I realized it wasn't, and I told him I was going to be taking a different path, it hurt our relationship a ton for like a decade. And one of the most amazing things that transformed it was when I came to him and, and, and sent him a message, I should say, because that was the courage I had to do at that moment, but sent him a message and said, if I could choose anybody in the world to be my father, I would choose you for all the good, but also all that we've been through because it all made me me. And I don't want to make it sound like my experience was so terrible because it wasn't. And your experience may have been. 
but all have trouble in their relationship with their father at some point or their authority figure or the father that wasn't there. This is not going to change anytime soon. And you get to choose how you relate to this. Are you going to be defined by the rebellion against it? That's an energy that's defined by something you're against. And it is not a center that can hold you up for a flourishing, empowered life that progressively unfolds in a healthy direction. But subservience isn't good either. And if you're swallowing it down just to get along, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be proving or hiding. So what do you do? How do you make a change? Well, before I get into making a change, I want to break apart what I see society doing that's so opposite of how this story offers us wisdom and health and growth. What society is trying to do right now in a really weird dysfunctional way, and you, you know, I don't think there's any kind of grand narrative of conspiracy here. I just see it as a degradation, and I am not the kind of person who thinks all the past is in the glory or all the glory is in the past, and we've got to conserve everything. So I would not be labeled, you know, explicitly a conservative, nor would I be a liberal in the sense that we have to constantly progress beyond where we are. For me, it's the yin yang of it, and what we're not going to get beyond from an evolutionary biological standpoint is the power and presence of the father. And so what we've developed now are societal narratives so that adolescence is a new idea and in adolescence is an idea of, you know, this rejection of the the father as really just all the people that want to be defiant and rebellious and think they're being unique are playing into uh, a trite storyline that there is something deeper. And again, not that we have to go through that. We don't have to go through some of these turns and revolutions. You can go back to some of the earlier PC episodes but what society is trying to do as as it embraces what i think is a healthy appreciation for differences an appreciation for equality an appreciation for you know love is love <laughs> all of these ideas that i believe and i'm a fan of and support as the unfolding progressive evolution of society but i will also say if we just open-heartedly hug that and grab that with everything we have. And we, we do that from a place that we don't have a center. What we're trying to do is get away from the narrative of a father. And we need the father and the mother as much as we can. It's the yin-yang energy. It's throughout human history. And what I see us trying to do, you know, we're not trying to get away from the mother right now. We're trying to get away from the father. And as we try to get away from the father, we're creating all of these structures in family systems, in societal systems, in institutional systems that we're trying to normalize. And again, I want to say we need to have room for the exception, but the exception is not the norm. The exception is not what we're going to return back to as a baseline, no matter what happens in society. And that is the presence of this yin-yang masculine-feminine. This story has a lot to offer. And as I look at the power here, and we want to think about this, it's a father who stands and waits, whose relationship overrules. Yeah, are there consequences to things? Sure. But the way that he's engaging is completely different. It's a different model. It's a different vision. For the audience that would have heard this story, it was like this. You thought God was like this? No, God isn't this angry, ready to punish you, you get out of line. It's this loving, present, engaged, aware 
Father. And I don't know what your center is. Whatever you go to is a vacuum, you know, whatever you go to in the vacuum of power in your life. But when you look at that and you, you see it, what's, what's there? What's the presence? If what's in your heart and mind that's driving you is a disapproving presence, if it's the shaming narrator within, the inner critic that doesn't give you any relief, there's a moment for you to explore what it could be like. What would it be like for you if you were to learn to have uh, within yourself a structure of power that didn't disempower? Well, I'll tell you what it does is it sets up the change that can really happen in the individual. Society is not going to give this change to you as it tries to you know, re-engineer so much. Instead, it comes from an experience. What's the experience? It's the hug. It's the party. Here's the idea in this story. You think about how all of the change isn't through getting your beliefs lined out. It isn't through uh, a checklist of ideas that you acquiesce to. It's experiential. And it reveals a lot about how the brain changes. The brain doesn't change through the cognitive agreement of a new idea. The brain changes through an experience of the senses. This is how you are transformed. So the brother comes home with a speech, ready to walk through it. But instead, he gets hugged, and he gets a rope, and he gets a ring. And it's all a reminder, symbology, ritual, experiential of the relationship, the baseline. You're loved. You're accepted. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. I'm glad you're home. We're going to rebuild your life. We're going to start a new chapter. Now, there's a lot that we could look at from the history and what some of that meaning is. I'd rather focus more on just for you, understanding how your brain changes. I mean, the worst of religions have happened when they formalize into a a canon and an agreed upon, you know, belief statement. You can see the politics that were happening even in Christianity in the 300s to get these statements in place that we had all acquiesced to. And yet Jesus tells a story that, hey, maybe it's not about having the right beliefs, but it's about the behavior, that the behavior matters more than the beliefs. I understand that behavior is shaped by beliefs, but I know a lot of people in my short life that have had all the right beliefs in whatever tribe they were in, in whatever box they were living in, and their behavior was kind of crappy. They weren't the kind of presence who knew how to use power and strength to make others stronger. And so I think that for a lot of us, this story can challenge how we think about ourselves, how we think about how we live, how we think about our beliefs. And then the party is heard by the elder brother and the elder brother is like, what is going on? I've been doing all this duty for you and you're throwing him a party. He didn't earn this. I did, but he didn't. And the dad says, no, no, no. This was always yours. Everything I have is yours. Now, a few things to break down here. The brother sought a party he could escape to, the younger brother, by wasting all of his inheritance. But the father threw a party that would enhance him. There's two different kinds of parties. There's two different kinds of parties in life. There's a party that is to escape, and there's a party to enhance. And sadly, the purists who focus on beliefs stuck in the mud, they don't know the party to enhance. They're so afraid of the party 
of the damage that comes from the party to escape. And what we have is the perfect blending rhythm, paradoxical reality of there's a party and you're invited. And what would it be like for you to know what I think is one of the deepest realities that you can ever reach in your understanding, in your meditation, in your contemplation, whatever pathway you find yourself on, religious, not religious, whatever. It's what we talked about in episode three, that all things are yours, that abundance is a reality that we know within, that scarcity is a mental construct that causes so much pain and fear and suffering, and that yes, we might have moments where physically we do not have food. Internally, there is something that sets us free that we know we can find a way forward. I've comforted myself with this idea for over two decades. Everything I have is yours already. So what's it mean for me to go ahead and enjoy? To live my life in such a way that I'm cooperating with how the brain changes, not by trying to think the right things, believe the right things, a checklist of beliefs, but setting myself up for experiences where I know the hug and I know getting the robe and the ring, setting myself up for experiences where I hear the noise of the party and I go in and without shame, I step in and enjoy it with the fullness of what it means to appreciate life in its simplicities and its depths and its joys and its pains that I even have the courage to ask for the party to be thrown that I have the courage to ask for what I need to build around a life of what I need, but also allows me to serve others. There's a better way. And the story of the lost son or the prodigal son, however you know it, is a reminder for me that many, many people are always going to spin out into to proving and hiding, into defiance and subservience. But for those of us that want to go on a growth pathway, guess what? We can learn to understand what is the way that we relate to power in our lives, that we don't have to let another institution disempower us, that even if we've got trouble with our fathers, we can learn to relate to them in a healthy way, to forgive, not to make an excuse for their behavior, not to put ourselves in a place that unhealthy boundaries allow us to get hurt, but in a way that we start to understand we can't fight against this ancient old idea. And then as we remake what it means for us to relate to power or to find a new center of power within ourselves, that we can find a process for how we change our lives. This for me is the story of the prodigal son. I know these episodes are wide and sweeping. It's an ambitious project, but I'm so glad you're here and I hope it inspires you in some way to pay attention to where you might be in this story. Peace. Hey, thank you for being here and listening to this episode. Please feel free to rate and share the podcast with others. More importantly, I want to invite you to come to SightShift.com, S-I-G-H-T Shift.com. There, I'm obsessively focused on helping people with three problems. Number one, how to work on their worldview and make their own meaning. Number two, how to find their place in the world and move with a laser-focused mission. And number three, transcend status games and build the healthy community they want to be a part of. Through our platform of content, certified coaches, and community, 
We are transformational guides to help you find your wisdom. Join us at SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com.